Aggieville, Aggieville, I'll be out in Aggieville. Aggieville, Aggieville, I'll be out in Aggieville. Aggieville, Aggieville, I'll be out in Aggieville. Aggieville, Aggieville, I'll be out in What is up, everybody? You are listening to yet another edition of Cocaine Willie. And tonight we have what for the fourth, fifth, one in one in one stretch in a row to discuss for the cats. And we're back at full strength this week for the first time since mid-January. The Bald Brotherhood is back. I'm back in here, baby. Finally off on mute. What's going on, brother? Not a whole lot, man. Not a whole lot. It's been uh, it was it was uh, an interesting repeat, reprieve last week uh, from from hosting the show. Uh, as it, as it is always, it's always weird when I'm not hosting the show that week for whatever reason, just because of you know, I just, I get prepped for this. I, I get ready every Wednesday and I wake up every Wednesday thinking, Oh, today's the live show day. This is going to be a fun night. And I didn't have it. I didn't have that last week. So it was, it was definitely kind of strange. How about, how about you? How are, how are fire has fireball Matt doing? Well, if Matt doesn't want to talk, I'll talk. I've been doing good. You know, it's been, uh, this week's kind of flown by, you know, it's hump day. Uh, I had the day off. So I've been prepared all day today to talk to you guys. You know, we got a big win yesterday, so we're going to talk about that. I mean, it's just a whole lot of stuff we haven't talked about since we all three together were together. Seems like Fireball Matt might be having some technical issues, potentially. I mean, I'm showing that he's on the stage. Chef, what are you seeing? Fucking finally. My <laughs> yeah, God. Yeah, switch. <laughs> I was waiting. Oh my lord! It's great to be back. I guess <laughs> we had you up here. I just sent you a screenshot. You were on stage this whole time. No, that no, it was a lie. It was a lie. No, you were. Right, he was there. <laughs> you were definitely there. It's great. To uh, have the, it's great to have the bald boys back. Let's put it that way. It's always it's always great to have the bald boys back, and I think uh, I I may not be the only one to say that I'm also scoreboard watching this Iowa State West Virginia game because the good news about this stretch and and also bad news is we're still in the Big Twelve race. We are now officially one game back in the Big Twelve race, but depending on the outcome of this West Virginia Iowa State game, we could potentially be in a three way tie as opposed to a two way tie for third and be in a three-way tie for second. So we've got some uh, we've got some scoreboard watching going on in Morgantown. The Mountaineers are currently up, I think, three is what I saw there. So the second half of that game, I want to say under 10 minutes left. But it's going to be interesting to see how that one plays out. We'll provide an update to those who are in the live room and, and those of you who are going to be listening the next day. It's not even going to matter because you will already know the outcome of the game. But – Speaking of game outcomes, we had a very frustrating game that we need to kick off the uh, pod with tonight. First and foremost, the Texas game last Saturday, the seventh-ranked Cats had a fairly pathetic showing in the second half of the game against 10th-ranked Texas, in which they blew what was at one point a 14-point lead, only to come short and lose by three points with a final of 69-66. to Not very nice, unfortunately, for the Cats in that matchup. Uh, as far as just like a couple of stats, and then I want to want to get to some of the takeaways here. But K State out rebounded the Longhorns thirty one to thirty. K State was fouled less with nineteen fouls to to their twenty one. 
and only turned it over two more times. But in a game like this against an opponent this good, those two turnovers or, you know, (laughs) those two turnovers, missing foul shots, whatever the situation might be, these games are won and lost in the margins. And at the end of the game, ultimately one of the biggest difference makers was Marquise Noel's decision to throw it straight to a Texas defender that ultimately eliminated really any shot of, of winning the game hit there in the final second. So uh, statistically Keontae Johnson led the game with 16 total points scoring and three rebounds. He went two of three from beyond the arc. Uh, It's kind of crazy to think nobody eclipsed that 16 point mark because we've had so many games this season where, where we've had somebody break the 20 point mark. So Keontae was the, the leading scorer with 16 points there. Desi Grills, our guy, was second in scoring with 11 and went one of two from three. Uh, and those were the only two guys in double figures in any stat line. So that ultimately, I think, was was one of the final nails in the coffin is we we didn't have more than two guys who were in double figures statistically in that one. Well, I think Malik. And, and that, that hurts. Uh, Mar- Did Marquise get the 10 points? Uh, Did he? I think, I think Marquise had 10. Um, Marquise had 10, Desi had 11, he, Keontae had 16, I think you said, or 14, one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it was, it still, was a sad, sad showing. I mean, offensively. It was sad. It was, that was, I mean, a lot of grief and guff goes on to Marquise's game, like, because, you know, he's kind of, by the seat of his pants, and that's kind of what we need him to be because he's so good offensively. But when he has bad games, he has really, really bad games, and that was one of his worst ones I've ever seen him play. And you were kind of just going through it, um, his timeline of that game, 0 for 5 from 3. I mean, just bad shot selection, bad turnovers, bad decisions, leaving his feet. That's where he gets in the most trouble is when he gets, you know, he thinks pass first, and he'll get in the air and then realize the pass is not there, and then it's it's dead meat because he's not going to put up a shot. So it's it was bad, but I'll let you keep getting giving these statistics, but I just wanted to tap in because I think Marquise was at 10 points, but it was, it was a fight. To, yeah, you're it right. was a fight to get to that 10 points. You're right. He was at 10, so that is 100% my bad. Uh, he had 10 points, 6 rebounds, 3 assists, which is super, super low for, for Marquise Noel. To, to only have 3 assists, I think it's it's pretty rare that he's been limited to to that low of assists. Um, and, and meanwhile, you know, we've got 3 guys who are in double figures, and that's it for any stat line. You look at the Texas team, they had three starters in double figures. They had two guys off of the bench who were in double figures. You had Serge Barry Rice, who, who came off the bench, got a double-double with 14 points and 10 rebounds. Again, we just didn't really see enough effort from as many guys on, on the team, especially in the second half when things really started to get out of control, that to where th- there was no opportunity to win this game ultimately and and. Well, I'm not going to say that there's no opportunity to win the game because there was at the at the very very end, but that's when that turnover happened, and and it's just it felt super undisciplined, it felt super sloppy. Uh, I mean, it, when you look at the stats, this game was pretty evenly matched for the most part on almost every single stat line, 
but you get those extra two turnovers and it's just times you lose that way. It's just kind of crazy to look at these stats and say, you know, K-State and Texas were nearly neck and neck with field goal percentage with 44 for the Cats and 45 for the Horns. Three-point percentage was higher for the Cats at 31.6 to their 25. And then the free throw percentage was higher at 80% to their 79.2. So it's very, very evenly matched across the board. And it's just frustrating that, that you you get into that game, you have that 14-point lead, and then you just blow it. Yeah, you, the statistics do give a story um being at the game on saturday and and it was a great environment um as a whole as we would typically expect for you know a game a saturday game like that but one of the big uh, one of the big momentum shifters happened right at the begin or right at the end of the first half with the foul um Tyke green's foul that gave texas the three points um, at the free throw line. And then Texas just really proved a point at the beginning of the second half. And, and I think they went five for five to start the half um, with field goals and they just came out with way more energy and, and, you know, which very much shocked me because for us in the first half, we had opportunities to even extend that lead more and more. And, and, and we had careless plays. Uh, we had turnovers. Um, you know, we, the fact of the matter is we only scored what 30 some points in the first half. And, and, you know, it really felt like we could have been up 18 or 20. Um, and there were, there were just a lot of opportunities that that could have helped us out in the second half. And, and it was very disappointing to see the energy, the difference in energy in the beginning of that second half for, for Texas. And, um, you know, it, it was, it was very nice to obviously be able to come back and, and, be up by one with less than a minute to go, but the execution was very poor. And Texas has shown, especially since we beat them in Austin, they have the capability to score. They have the capability to play good defense. And we didn't have, I, I, I don't believe we were the better team on Saturday. I don't. Um, and it was a disappointing one because we had so many chances to, to, to take, this was a very winnable game for us. And it, 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 it's very disappointing to see the team not be able to pull that one out. It it really was. Yeah. It was insane to watch. You brought up where the momentum, uh, shifted. You, the Tyke green foul was very, you know, boneheadish you would say but you know you live with those you're still up double digits going into halftime you expect to have a little more fight and it it wasn't even that they were doing anything in the first half that really I mean in the second half energy wise because we handed it to them we gave them the energy I mean Cam Carter two bonehead turnovers that automatically lead to points and when you're missing shots and they're five for five at the very beginning of the second half, that's automatic. They're in it. That's, I mean, that's 10 points, no matter how you cut it. So they were right back in the game. The turnovers were the, the killer. We were just, it just wasn't secure. The passes weren't crisp. You know, they weren't, they panic in the backcourt for some reason. It's just, it's just the little things, but you know, those kind of games, those type of games 
lets you reset and refocus and say, hey, this is what we have to do to win as a team, and we weren't cutting it that game. So is there a, is there a silver lining to it? You, you let the players talk, you let the coaches talk, and let that, you know, that speech that they feed to us, they'll say it was. But, you know, what are we going to do? We respond, and I'm sure we're going to get into that. Yeah, and I think one thing that, that stood out to me with Tang's postgame presser was talking about letting this this loss sit with the team. Like, let it, let it sit with Keontae, let it sit with Taiki and some of these guys and let it fester and let it bug them a little bit for a couple of days. I, I feel like in an environment, and maybe this is just me waxing poetically a little bit, but in an environment where there's so much positivity and so much just rah-rah, everything, and, and he wants all the coaches smiling on the sideline, I feel like sometimes it's really easy to lose sight of the negatives and just constantly look for the positives and everything. And look, I'm a pretty positive person for the most part, but when something negative happens, I do want it to inform how I'm making a decision the next time I I come into a situation where I'm dealing with adversity or whatever it might be. And I think, I I don't know if this team just, when negative things happen, they just kind of brush it aside or if they use that to inform how they're going to approach things moving forward. But I really liked that after the game, he said, Hey, I want the the guys to sit with this loss and, and sit with the frustration and the anger that this, that this caused for people and that this caused for us and for the fans and everybody. And and I liked that because I do think that going into that game against TCU, the, the team came out with a fire and and didn't make a lot of those boneheaded mistakes that that we saw that have that have been critical in in just snatching away momentum. I think it was Baller Status Cat that that tweeted it even last night during the TCU game. There was a moment where or a couple of moments where it felt like when we would have a little bit of momentum it would just get snatched away, whether it's by a whistle or a turnover or whatever. And a few of the last, I, I guess a, a few of the last few games, I think about the KU game at Allen Fieldhouse specifically. I think about the Texas game on Saturday. And I think about a couple of moments against TCU. There's been a trend of this team just for whatever reason, when they get momentum, it just gets snatched away sometimes and, and, or something happens to where they just can't latch onto it and then command the rest of the game for whatever reason. And, and it, that, that narrative kind of flipped toward the end of the TCU game last night, which we'll get to, but I I've noticed a trend of that. And this Texas game was just, again, kind of the epitome of not being able to get that momentum in the second half. And when you would try to get it or come close to getting it and come close to making a run, you get close and then it just gets snatched away. So I think something that, that hopefully was a momentum shifter that happened last night was being able to get that momentum and continue it instead of having it get snatched away at, at these different moments throughout the game. Yeah, th- that's that's perfectly said. It's just there's so many different ways that this team's played in second halves where it's you just don't like you think back to the very first conference game versus West Virginia. They're getting bullied in the first half and they absolutely turn a switch and say, hey, we're not going to let that shit happen no more. And they turn it on and they get the dub. Then you got games like, let's not forget Florida. I mean, Florida, we're up big and we let them go on a crazy run at the beginning of that first half. I mean, we still win comfortably and we end up turning around. But it's those little stretches where Tang doesn't call timeouts. Tang does not 
for all the credit, you got to give him some credit because it's kind of like the old like Greg Popovich, uh, Coach K kind of style where if the team's getting the shit kicked out of him for like a four or five minute stretch, he won't call timeout. He just he'll just eat those timeouts. He does not call timeout when we're their teams are going on absolute tears for some reason. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm thinking of it wrong, but he just doesn't do it. But teams go on long stretches, and Texas was just a whole second half stretch where we could, the momentum just was gone offensively. They they buried Key. He was in foul trouble. Marquise double teamed the whole time and couldn't find his shot. Desi was the only really bright spot of the team, and it just it wasn't enough. And I, we'll get I'm I'll bring it up now because I don't know if we'll we'll delve into this Texas game too much more after this. But another big man absolutely wreaks havoc on us, and that Bishop kid absolutely murked us in the post. So I don't know what it is, and maybe Scott Wildcat he's in here. He likes to bang the drum that is, you know, the big guys are doing what they're supposed to be doing and we're not getting bullied. But I, it, five men that can actually do something in the post scare the piss out of me. Look, I, I will say this. I give Rodney Terry a lot of credit because, I mean, people talk about halftime adjustments and whether it's a thing or not. And the, the one thing that I will say, I mean, Chris, Christian Bishop, he had a really great second half against us, obviously. And, he had all of his 14 points in the second half. He was aggressive. I mean, he was an aggressive player. He was more aggressive than our big men. And he was getting inside and making really good plays as a big man should. And and he was a very good player at Creighton. And obviously transferring to Texas, the hope was to get him a little bit, you know, a bigger role. And, um, you know, we, we just saw him in the second half. He had, he was just way more aggressive than us. And, that's a that's a big reason why you know they were able to get inside, get in the paint, um, and and also you know make their free throws, which is was key. So um, I, I give Rodney Terry a lot of credit, um, and I hate I hate saying nice things I guess about other teams, but um, you know with the whole Chris Beard situation in Texas, this is a team that probably could have folded a little bit, and he's bringing out the talent. I mean, this is a team that has talent and they brought in some great transfers. So, you know, the, the way that I look at it is, you know, we wanted to split the series one, one to one with them. I mean, if we think about the beginning of, you know, big 12 play, we probably wanted to split the series one to one. Um, And technically we did that. So yeah, is what it is. Yeah. That's, that's kind of where I'm at on it. And, and yeah, Christian Bishop totally, totally dominated in the second half. He had, in total in the, in the whole game, he had 14 points, six rebounds, two steals, two blocks. The dude was just, he was, he was lights out on Saturday. So he was a very frustrating player to have to play against. And I am glad that we don't have to play against him again until come the big 12 tournament or potentially March madness, depending on what happens there. But that said, we'll move on to the TCU game. And, and I think we've, we've alluded to this a little bit, but, the boys fortunately bounced back last night with an impressive effort against TCU, a team who frankly kind of clobbered us earlier in the season in Fort Worth, and, and it was just not a very good game in Fort Worth. They did have Mike Miles at that point in time. They didn't last night, but uh, K-State won 82-61. to 61. 
in a pretty commanding fashion there toward the end of the game. They did have Eddie Lampkin back for this game, uh, and he, I don't think he played nearly as many minutes as, as they would normally like out of him, but uh, they didn't have Mike Miles, which is fine. You know, I'll take a 21-point drubbing over a very good team that's, you know, number 17 in the country right now. So uh, this largely came due to the efforts of the dynamic duo, again, of Marquise Noel and Keontae Johnson, which has been a common theme throughout most of the season. Um, and Marquise had 18 points, seven assists, which put him over the top of Steve Henson for the all-time record for single-season assists for a Wildcat. So quick round of applause for Marquise Noel for breaking that record, which has stood for a very long time. Uh, Steve Henson played here, I want to say the 80s, if I'm not mistaken. So that was that was a great record, to, re- great record to break and did it the same night that LeBron broke the all-time scoring record for Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for the Lakers. But Keontae had 14.7 rebounds, uh, and David Gasson had a great showing with 10 points, four rebounds. Uh, our guy Desi Sills, Desi Grills, and Tyke Green had big days coming off the bench with 14 points uh, for Desi Sills and 13 for Tyke Green with nine rebounds for him as well. Um, I, I think one of the things that I love the most about this game was seeing some of the increased production from Gasson green and Sills like Sills has been a role player and he's had some good games coming off the bench, but seeing Tyke green, what he did last night in really critical moments, kind of going back to the original conversation we were having about getting momentum and keeping it Tyke green kept momentum going in critical moments where we needed it to, um, and, and we could talk about some other stats if we want to, but I, I want to get y'all's thoughts first on what what did you think about some of those bench players that came off like Tyke and, and Desi Sills and the impact that they had in the game last night in general, but also in just some really critical moments. I was really hoping Coley Dub was going to be on tonight so we could talk about his guy, Tyke Green. I mean, he... oh, man. <laughs> he played 22 minutes last night and those were key minutes. I mean, he was everywhere and you know that that's what we need thinking about at the beginning of big 12 play and the number of guys that we were playing and what was the bench going to be like and Tyke green had shown some flashes i had always felt he was he had some really good qualities as a defensive player and and he he definitely does but from an offensive perspective i mean 13 points last night a huge 13 points the nine rebounds were somewhat surprising. Great to see as well, but he just brought some energy. Uh, this was a game that there were there were flashes where we needed a little bit of energy. Uh, TCU had some small runs to get it within two, four points, and the the second half run that we went on was an incredible sight to see. And so I, I was really. I just loved watching Tyke Green in this game. And if that's what he's going to be able to provide, I mean, 22 minutes is a lot of minutes for him. But if that's what he's going to be able to provide, if he can give us 15 or 20 minutes a game of just this energy, rebounding, and and making smart plays, that is a really huge key for us in the rest of the Big 12 play. But then getting into the NCAAs, um, I loved it. And Desi, I, I mean, we can talk about Desi. I'm sure Chef wants to get into Desi Grills a little bit. You know, I'll talk about Desi Grills, little chicklets in his mouth all day. But we got to talk about Tyke because this was the Tyke Green game. And, it, and he's 
molded his game throughout the season where he came in as we thought he would be the spot corner three shooter guy. Then he kind of takes a lull and he's not on the court. And now he's in that dunk position. And me and you, Matt, we talked about, we talked about what we needed to do at around the rim and what I thought we could do around the rim, especially with length, like Tomlin has around the rim and Gasson has around the rim. But it's Tyke Green, the six foot four, you know, basically a shooting guard that's playing the four position and he's flushing the ball. Yeah, I mean, he's got incredible bounce, but he's getting the ball, positioning himself, and he's dunking it. That's what I want to see because I think that's what we should be able to do. We should be so much stronger around the rim than we are. But Tyke Green, I don't know if he'll be able to do this consistently. And I don't necessarily think he needs to do it consistently i think he needs to find his find his spot and his opportunities when it's given because you're going to have ishmael if ishmael is banging threes and he's not one for six or whatever he was the last two games and he's hitting threes tyke green's not going to see the court it's just not enough space because we got to have tomlin out there we got to have gasson out there we got to have baby out there with and Keontae out there, matter of fact, there's just not enough room for it. And if if the guys in front of him are being efficient, then he's not going to see the court. But if he has his opportunity and and Gasson's doing his thing and Bebe's not putting up enough minutes or Ishmael's missing, then Taiki Green can have the opportunity to play that. I like what they called it, a dunk role, his dunk position that he's just there to run that baseline, catch those passes, and dunk the ball. That's what I want to see him do, not necessarily every night, but when the opportunity arises for him, I want him to seize it. I have a really stupid question. Do we have a stat on how many missed dunks there have been this season? Because if Tyke Green can flush it, I say give him, give him the rock every time. God. Miss dunks are the most frustrating thing in the world. And that's probably because I can't dunk, but it's two points. Just lay the fucking ball on the thing. Lay it in the hoop. It's two points. As Scott's saying that a KSU fan has that stat. So I'll have to, I'll have to look into that and see if he's got it somewhere on Twitter or on KSO or something. But uh, I think just a couple, you know, speaking of stats, the team shot 46% from the field, 37% from beyond the arc, 82% at the stripe, and then out-rebounded them 40 to 28. I think that's critical. I mean, there have been so many games this season where it's been neck and neck with rebounding or we've slightly been out-rebounded or, or the other way around. But to see us have a margin of rebounding by, you know, 12 total, I feel like that's, that's not really happened a whole lot, especially during conference play. Maybe it happened prior, but uh, we limited our own turnovers to 15 to their 19 and limited fouling to 13 total uh, to their 18. So I think statistically just a much better night all around. Granted, we did let them get back to within, I think six later in the game with, I want to say maybe under 10 minutes left, but then just, got some momentum stuck with it and then, and then took it to the finish line and with a 21 point victory and Coley dub shout out to him. He had a bet where he, he had K state winning by either six, like between 16 to 20 points. 
And because we, because we, we scored 21, he just missed out on that bet. He would have won, won some decent cash on that. So apologies to Coley Dub for uh, pouring salt in the wound, but I just thought that was hilarious. I, I would just want to bring up one thing and correct me if I'm wrong. Is this the third straight game that Keontae has had two fouls early on in this game? Third straight? I believe, I believe that's correct. And I, I am not a ref guy. I'm not. I don't blame the refs. I, it's a tough job. It, it's, it's continuing to be a problem. And I, it, I don't know how you can coach being less aggressive, and especially with how Keontae plays. He's an aggressive guy that is going to try and get to the rim um, or you know do some type of mid-range shot. But – we need him playing consistent minutes in these games. We need it. The, the foul situation has to try and get taken care of, especially going into a stretch where you're on the road the next two games. So thinking about a ref and, and thinking about the potential home field advantage in the whistle department. And these are two games that we should win, right? Keontae on the bench with two fouls early on in those games really changes the dynamic for us. So whether it's being less aggressive, maybe being a little bit less risky, I don't know, but we need him on the court. It's, it, it's just crazy to me. The three games we, we've been dealing with it. Three offensive fouls, you know, that's where he got his fouls at. I mean, it's usually like these little reach-ins that he gets and that's where he's picking these fouls up at. But, Three offensive fouls, I mean, I'm not upset about it. It's the evolution of his game is going to – if he could take the step where he's not just bulldozing into a man posted up right outside the the defensive rim right there, you know, just – if he could get that – he has the pull-up jumper already. He has that little fadeaway in the key that he already has. If he could just turn that into just a straight-up pull-up mid-range pop shot – He's unstoppable, and he'll and he'll eliminate half of these calls that he's getting and these turnovers that he's getting because the turnovers are coming on these drives that are leading into a brick wall out of that he that he could just totally avoid if he would just pull up for a jumper or a floater. But to, uh, Jerome Tank said it in his post game that they're going to show him the film where he can avoid these silly fouls offense by just stopping resetting and kicking out to an open uh, an open shooter or or pulling up for a, a quick floater. I mean it's just it's frustrating, but I, I'm confident that he'll be able to get it turned around. And and don't look now, but uh, West Virginia just got uh got the ball back after they called a charge on Iowa State and they're up three with four point five left. So if this score holds and you know, knock on what I would imagine it does. That puts the Cats solidly in second, tied for tied for it three ways with KU and Iowa State. And the benefit of that is going into two matchups with at you know they're on the road. Texas Tech is a hostile environment on it, obviously, but but Oklahoma's never really been well known for being an incredibly hostile place to play, at least from a basketball perspective. But you've got a two game stretch here with two what I would consider pretty winnable games within the Big 12 and and 
you know, with the caveat that the Big 12 is the strongest probably ever been. You've got two games that are winnable. If you can go 3-0 and between that TCU, Tech, and Oklahoma game and head into that Iowa State matchup next Saturday in a octagon of doom that's going to be absolutely rocking in a top, you know, again, top 15, top 20 matchup between two teams that hate each other's guts right now. I think that's going to be damn good as we come into really the final five, six games of conference play. Um, cause again, that, that, that ending stretch, you've got Iowa state and Baylor, are the only two ranked teams left on the schedule at this point, you've got Oklahoma state, Oklahoma and West Virginia to round out conference play. And I think I, I feel really good right now about those next few games. And, and again, they're not going to be tough or <laughs> sorry, sorry. They're not go. They're going to be tough matchups because there's no easy out in the big 12. I, I apologize. I misspoke there. Um, but I do think that if we are going to finish conference play with a stretch of games, I prefer it to be this stretch of games, knowing that the two ranked opponents that we have are going to be played at home in Bramlage. And I really don't think the team Tang, the fans are going to let two more games up at Bramlage the way that, that that game dropped last week against Texas. I just really don't see that happening. So I feel incredibly confident about this team's ability to win out. Also, I want to. Oh, sorry, Matt. Uh, I want. I want to throw this in there. You said it would be a three-way tie. I think it would be a four-way tie for second place if Baylor wins tonight. Ooh, that'll be seven and four. I didn't realize Baylor was playing tonight. That's a good. Yeah, they're playing Oklahoma. That's a good call. So it'd be a four-way tie for second place. Oh boy! Yikes! Oh my God! Quest the quest for thirteen and five. The quest for thirteen and five. Let's let's make it happen. I just I so badly want to get thirteen and five, and West Virginia won. So Iowa State's officially tied again for uh, for second place with the rest of us. And it's what's currently a three way tie, but will be a four way tie if Baylor wins tonight. But uh, just taking again a little bit of a look ahead, upcoming matchups. We've got Texas Tech in Lubbock. Very winnable. I'm going to say that now. I don't want to jinx it, but they're not ranked high in Kempom. They're 70th. They're 72nd in the net. They're currently the lowest Big 12 team in both the net and Kempom. They're really just not as good of a team as they've been in years past. They're they're not great statistically. It's not a great season for Mark Adams coming off of a pretty historic season for them where they found themselves as a three seed in March where they were they, they finished, I think, at number 12th overall after the tournament ended. We know who to look out for. It's Kevin O'Banner, Pop Isaacs, Davion Harmon, that Fardoz AMAC guy because he just matches up well against us, I think, and then Daniel Daniel Bacho. But, but those are some of the guys to look out for. We've obviously played them already, but curious what you both think about this matchup because I think the main thing for me is coming off of the momentum of the TCU game where we proved that we can – we can snatch momentum and keep it going because that's been a a problem for this team, especially the last few games, good teams beat up on bad teams and tech in comparison to the rest of the big 12 is bad. I mean, they're worse than Florida as far as Ken Palm and the net rankings and everything are concerned. So I think if you go in, take care of business, go into Oklahoma, take care of business there. We'll have a three game win streak in the conference and we'll be setting ourselves up very nicely for a matchup against Iowa state at home. Uh, but curious y'all's thoughts on on this matchup against Tech. 
uh, you've said it before. Any game on the road in the Big 12 is going to be a tough one. I know Tech is having a down year, but the fact of the matter is they've played their competition in Lubbock tough, even with losses this season. This was a matchup that we struggled with at home. David Gasson back will be very important for this game, especially especially with how Tech did against our big men, Nijiola and whatnot, um, in the first matchup. So, yeah, this is one that if you think that you want to win the Big 12 this season, you have to, you definitely have to win this game. And you have to at least show that you can win a game on the road, which has been, I mean, the beginning of Big 12 play for us was really good, obviously, with the two wins, but we just haven't gotten it done on the road. And so this is a really a big prove it game for the cats uh, just to be able to, to take care of business and and show that if you are a a better team, you, you have to pull out these types of wins and and prepare yourself for, for March. So it'll be a good matchup. I'd love to come out of there with a big win. Uh, I'm not necessarily anticipating it just with how these games have gone in big 12 play. Yeah. I'm not counting anything right now. When you look at it, I mean, does do we match up well with T, uh, Texas Tech? Yes. So, in that sense, yeah, I would I would be confident. But you know, when you have to go on the road, it's hard because I mean, look at Mo- West Virginia. Morgantown is so incredibly hard to get a dub at. I mean, they're beating they're beating Iowa State. They beaten TCU. It's just hard to beat these teams on the road. So. Has everybody been smacking Texas Tech around recently? Kind of, yeah. But we have to handle business. So no road no road game is going to have me eager and ready to go like, oh, okay, let's, let's get the momentum this way. I mean, it's going to be a dogfight against Texas Tech. So get the dub there like you like, – like most would think, but if we if we get the dub, it would it would set up nicely. Uh, you know, this this Big Twelve schedule is absolutely nuts, and every game is just the next one up, and it's the most important. Me and Matt, oh, I think it was yeah, me and Matt talked about it last week, where every one of these games seems like Texas Texas seemed like the most pivotal game that is going to absolutely sway our season we'll be two games back at Texas if we don't win. And then, you know, at the end of it, we, we get to Tuesday and we're going into Saturday and we're only one game back and tied with everybody else in the conference in second place. So it's every game, (laughs) every game is like this. And have you looked at their schedule the rest of the way, by the way, what Texas has left? No, I haven't. So, I mean, they have to play Kansas twice. Well, they they already played them once. And then, so they're playing at Tech playing at tech on Tuesday. I think they're playing at tech next week. Then they have Iowa state at Baylor at TCU and KU. Those are their last four games. Those are all top 20 matchups. So I feel good about them (laughs) dropping at least one of those games. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they even lost to tech. Like they, they have, 
they they have it's at tech it's a hostile environment i i was kind of you know maybe a little bit knocking playing texas tech just because statistically they're not great but there is no easy out in the big 12 and knowing the bad blood that those two teams have with each other regardless of the chris beard situation they freaking hate each other and they hate each other more now because of the chris beard thing so it's been it's going to be really interesting you know that there's bad blood with the tyrese hunter thing so iowa state's going to play their best game when they play in Austin. You know that Baylor is going to give them their best game, especially now they have uh, Chama Chachua back. They're going to play at TCU, which not exactly the most hostile environment, but they're they're tough out on the road, similar to what we saw a few weeks ago when we played them in Fort Worth. And then KU, obviously. Like it's just they have a they have a brutal stretch of games here. So I feel confident that they'll drop at least one, if not two. And that, you know, if we can take care of business, we can get shit done. I still feel very confident in our chance to be in that title race, regardless of what happens, um, regardless of what yeah. happens. So, I mean, if 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 my Big 12 parlays have anything to do with what's going to happen, I mean, I can't predict anything. So there's no way like you could bet the heavy favorites and almost all of them in there. You're still bound to lose 50 percent of them. So it's. It's it's a wild goose race for the number one spot, and it, it's going to be fun. You know, the Iowa State game on the 18th, wouldn't that be fun if college game day came to Manhattan? It's been a while. That'd be fun, right, guys? When was, no? when was the last time that they came to the Octagon? It would have been 2010 Kansas. 2010. Yeah. Makes sense. I yeah. mean, yeah, they should have college out. game day in basketball is kind of shit. Like, I don't Okay. Whatever. You know, man, fuck those guys. It'd be fun though. You know, I, and if we were both top 15 at that time, that would be, I mean, who knows? We could be, we could go back to top 10. Damn. That'd be awesome. And uh, while we're while we're talking about not having an easy out against Texas Tech, they're currently within three against Oklahoma State on the road in Stillwater. So anything could happen, boys. Let's get some, anything could let's happen. Get some people up here to talk some basketball. I want people up. All here. right, I need get those, get those speaker requests Greens. up. Give get me those speaker Greens, requests up, guys. Number one fan up here. <laughs> you know, we need to talk about 2023's Chris Merriweather. <laughs> Holy dub, how are you feeling tonight? Good, man. <clears throat> I already kind of went on a little rant, not rant, but a rave about Tyke Green on Bosco's boys, but it was just awesome. And uh, I'd like to think that he changed some opinions on his play, aka Matt, he's not Chris Merriweather. <laughs> 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 I just hope that, you know, this can build mainly build some or you know, build some confidence and momentum, momentum for him. Um see more of a consistent you know, production from him and it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, double digit points, but uh 7 8 points a game with, you know, getting up in boards and more dunks. It's just very fun to watch him dunk cuz he can just jump so freaking high and it's just awesome. Yeah, I mean, if we could get seven to eight points from anybody on the bench consistently, that would be incredible. I I don't necessarily see that happening, like consistently seven to eight points. 
that would be insane. But, you know, like I said earlier, like just to get him a ch- the opportunity where he could come in like basically every third game and give you a, a, a swell of points because I don't think it's just been proven that he's not going to be consistent. So let's just let him have the opportunity because it seems like outside of Desi on the bench, I mean, all those guys are inconsistent, inconsistent, but they all can, you know, bring something to the table where they can pop off at any moment. So as long as, as long as he's getting minutes, then maybe he has the opportunity, but if one person in front of him is doing his thing, then I don't see wh- why we would need him to go for seven or eight off the bench. Right. Even when Desi Seals, I mean, he, or he just went through a pretty rough stretch before last night's game. So that's, well, that's exactly. And this it, team is, sorry. I was just saying, that's what's fun about this team is like, there's like, it just seems like every game there's always someone different who has a great game. And it's just, it's, Right, because when when Desi went for 24 against KU, he went basically, I mean, he probably had like a total of seven points over the next three games. But, you know, Ish Masood came out there, and he's absolutely balling, hitting threes from everywhere. And then, you know, Ish Masood falls off, and Desi has basically three decent games or two decent games back-to-back. And, you know, Gasson's putting in minutes, and then Taiki has this game. So it's we're very deep. We our team is very deep all the way into the last guy on the bench can give you something, but will they be able to do it all together? Because I don't think there's just enough minutes out there to do it. But if we can get one of those guys every night to give us something, we're a very dangerous team. Have you guys already? I'm sure you have, but man, Tomlin has just been so frustrating lately. It's like, dude, just drive through the hoop. You can cross dudes up when you drive. Like, just drive to the hoop, man. He just keeps chucking these threes. It's wild because he has so he has so much potential to be that third guy that the team can rely on every single game. And I feel like that's happened a couple of times, but it's it's not been super consistent. And and that's been a lot of the narrative around his season is is if he could get that consistency and consistently be that third guy. I mean who knows what this team's record could look like if he was consistently getting, you know, some of the stat lines that he had when he's the third guy, right? Oh, for sure. I mean, I just, I don't know. I, he just shoots way too many threes and like he can make it. He just hasn't proven he can do it often enough to keep chucking them at the moment. And it's just, I just want to see him just make dudes look stupid and dunk the ball a lot more like he did earlier midway if he if he did have a little bit more of a consistent through a consistent three ball he would be more of a matchup problem which would be a huge favor for us if we could at least get some of that mid-range to three-point shooting in his game it would be an incredible accomplishment because I, it's obviously still learning from a basketball level and that's okay. I mean, for the number of years that he's played competitive basketball, he's going to learn game after game and he's going to have games where he struggles and he's shown this season. There are games where he really looks like a guy that could go to the next level, but that consistency isn't there. But if he can play decently on the defensive side and if he can give us 
six to eight points a game, four to six rebounds a game. I, I think with the way that this team is built, that is good. That that at least allows us an opportunity to win. Absolutely. The 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 ideal stat line for for me for Naquan would be like nine to ten points. Like you said, four to six rebounds. I would like to maybe even see like six should be his bottom line. I mean, he's so he could get to those and and three assists because we saw in this game that he's he's putting passes. He's he's being smart. The the few times like Cole brought up that he's shooting those corner threes. The few times that he did drive to the basket, he's he's putting pass. He's not scoring, but he's getting looks for other guys and he's getting open open shots for them in the lane he could he's a willing passer he's he's hyper athletic he can he he's been a lot better on the glass ever since that Ofer game in Iowa State he's been a lot better on the glass offensively and defensively uh he's not the best defender which is I think he's so he's pushed so far the other way that he's not willing to he's not very aggressive on defense anymore because he's so worried about the foul calls because that was the big knock on him about his defense is that he was fouling too much. But I think he needs to get back to more of that aggressive style of not, he he was just fouling out so much. So there has to be a balance there, but he has to get back to willing to give up some of those fouls because even Tang said that, he wants it. He's okay with those hard fouls. If he's giving up, if he's fouling in the right situation and not giving up layups and fouling, trying to block shots and trying to stop them from scoring, that's where the good fouls, but those ticky tack fouls out on the perimeter or reaching in on a help. Those are the ones that he's got to eliminate, but he's, he's so much better than he's been, but I think he's not as far down as he once was if that makes sense. For sure. It's just looking at his stats over the last few games. He'll he'll hit he had this stretch of games from what Wichita State to the Texas game, the first matchup where he was consistently scoring 11 or more points every single game and then it dropped off for the Baylor game. He had 9, Oklahoma State he had 6, TCU he had 8 and then he's back up to 15 and then he hits a lull again with 4 points and 6 points. And then two games in a row with 11 and then eight points and four points in this most recent matchup. So he goes through these like two, three game stretches, at least the last probably 10, 15 games or so where he'll hit this lull and he's just not scoring as many points. It's not like he's not putting up any buckets at all, right? He's still contributing, but I think if he's contributing at least, what was it? The 10 points per game that, that I think chef you mentioned, and then the four to six rebounds per game with, two to three assists like his assist numbers have honestly been a little bit low compared to to some of the highs that he's had with you know one two five and in some of these other games but yeah it's it's definitely interesting and and you know the interesting thing you mentioned defense he did have four steals in that texas game which was interesting uh and he hasn't done that since the first matchup in conference play against west virginia and you know the the stupid thing is because cole brought it up perfectly you know he misses those threes and it's those corner threes. I mean, he's so much better from three at the elbow, like that little, the right there. He's so good at the, he seems like he makes those threes, but the corner threes he's missing, but he's, 
it's because he's missing those threes that he's not able to drive the ball more consistent that he than he has, and that it is what frustrates me because I don't mind if he's missing those threes, but he has to be able to get those drives going to get to the line because he's such a good foul shooter. Like he might only, I mean, his percent's probably only like 75, but I, it, it's been so long since I remember him missing a free throw, like a bad miss, like, Oh my God, he missed the front end of a one and one, or he went over on the line. Like, I don't remember the last time he ever did that. And he's probably gone like five for six every game that he's played in since forever he's just a good foul shooter he should be at the line so much more being aggressive trying to yoke people like if he had tyke green's aggression on at the rim of dunking the ball he would be fucking nasty dude he also only played 14 or 18 minutes last night which is the second lowest minute total he's had all season which is interesting the lowest he had was that butler game where he played 14 minutes total I think it's the I think it was the defense for real. If if I'm being yeah. honest, it's like Tang wa- looked at his body language and like the baskets that he was giving up, like he that shit wasn't gonna fly. So he like put Taiki in there. Taiki is a is a pit bull. He's got a guard mentality where he's gonna press up on you and he can stay in front of you and he's dunking the ball, which Naquan should be able to do. So Trade Naquan for Taiki if Taiki's hot. That's that's what happens. Go with the hot hand. Always go with the hot hand. We've got two other guys on stage who haven't spoken yet. So Coffee Fiend, Nick, my guy. I've got your beans in my espresso machine right now. It's been a minute. Yes, it has. It has been a minute. How are y'all doing? We're doing just Great. fine, man. What are, what are your thoughts so far on uh, the TCU game, the Texas game, Naquan Tomlin, the upcoming stretch? Give us give us what you got, bro. Yeah, the uh, Texas game. Uh, luckily, I was not able to watch that game. Um, so we'll just not talk about that. Uh, we did watch the TCU game last night. Um, it, was, it was good to see. It came out with some aggression. But then again kind of the lead squandered and I'm just thinking, Oh shit, here we go again. But the boys got, well, they heard coach Tang and uh, went on a, however many run that was to end the game. And uh, then you got Marquise shooting from the half court and just draining threes. Um, Tomlin, I think chef said it best, you know, he's, he's such a good foul shooter that, he's kind of we've kind of forgotten how good he was and in the sense of missing those three uh threes he's not driving the ball and so um kind of would like to see more aggression driving to the hole and um uh, getting getting some foul calls on the other team but um yeah i'm excited uh i think the uh rest of the schedule is favorable but you can't you can't predict with this conference um I I think we'll finish top two, if not uh, a share of the Big Twelve title. I think that's my prediction at the moment. So, top top two in a five way tie for second and a three way yep. tie for first. Yep, that's that's my <laughs> prediction. <laughs> so. and we got our guy. We got our guy. Will the thrill up here too? What's going on, man? What's up, boys? Hey yo, how are you doing tonight? Not too bad. Uh, 
What's up, Andre? Uh, slaving away. You did quite. You did quite nicely last week, filling in as as the third chair for Cocaine Willie. So I appreciate you stepping in and, and auditioning for my role. I appreciate that. It was, it was an honor to 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 come up and talk with these guys. Um, I was gonna say uh, we did we didn't get that linchpin game like we wanted. We were talking about that last week, um, but the good that came out of it was we saw the improvements in rebounding and uh, costly turnovers. So some of the points that were brought up last week, uh, we did get corrected, which was awesome. Um, talking about players, the the one thing um, I would like to see a little more is it seems like um, Gasson is a little bit like timid. He is getting the, like they'll pass to him and then he's trying to hurry up and pass back off. I'd like to see him get a little more aggressive. Um, but at the same time, we have a, we've seen him improve as well. He's not, you know, underneath the rim trying to stretch a shot out. Um, so it's looking up there, but I would like to see him to commit a little more. But overall, with with what we saw, um, hopefully we can just keep going up from there. Uh, I do like uh, was Nick was saying. I like our schedule. Uh, I think we have one of the better schedules on this back part of it. So that's that's a huge plus. Um, I think that I, I did it for a little off the wall, but I think it's a possibility for a three-way tie between Texas and uh, KU. I could see that. I mean, I also could see that, I mean, if KU gets a sweep of Texas, that's going to, that's going to hurt Texas in the long run pretty bad because I'm trying to think, we talked about this last week. I mean, I don't want to go down that road again. We could go down. You we could hash the, the schedule out. Again? <laughs> we could hash the schedule out every freaking week, and it, it nothing's gonna change. We just keep <laughs> we just keep getting it wrong in different ways. But you know, with us having Oklahoma twice, and I mean, they're a decent team, but they're not like they're not setting the world on fire. That helps us so much in the back half. If it's all about the sweeps, boys. The sweeps are what get you Big 12 titles. So, I mean, if if we have a sweep over Oklahoma, that helps us so much that we've got the, the weaker teams at the bottom half of the Big 12 that we could sweep. And that just that – just, that's where most of our teams that we have coming up. So, let's just get it done, boys. I, want, I also want to talk a little football. I don't know if Bob's going to try to slide it in here, but I'd like to talk a little football today too. Oh, I mean, are, are we talking conference realignment football? You you know you like to do some, that, but I mean, I haven't talked stuff schedule there. with anybody. I, I haven't talked schedule with anybody. Um, so, I mean, if you want to touch on realignment first and then we could talk schedule, I mean, I'm down. I mean, it, we're looking at maybe another half an hour left, so – Whatever you want. Let's let's talk schedule first because I really don't have much to add there or to discuss. I think the schedule's fine. You know, it, it's it's going to be interesting playing Texas for the last time. As everybody who listens to this knows, I really want to win that game for very very selfish personal reasons. So I would love to go out on top. But but honestly, I was I was ready to just take the L on the way out for them and and have Oklahoma. One more last time, uh, or maybe two last times. Who knows what that's going to look like? It sounds like maybe they're not going to leave, based on some of the stuff that we've heard and reporting recently. Uh, they're not going to leave after 2024 or 2023. So we'll we'll see what happens. I, I was hoping to get another shot at Oklahoma, but I don't. I don't know. 
I'm glad that we open up Big 12 play with a home game. I'll I'll say that. Matt, what do you think? I mean, I I'll I'll save mine for the second half because mine is more uh, selfish about the schedule. But I, I want to hear what you got to say, Matt. Yeah, it's I'm a little disappointed with the home schedule uh, as a season ticket holder. Uh, I was hoping to get a little bit more of an exciting group. Um, the UCF game to start Big 12 play will be a fun one. Um, I'm sure UCF will bring a really good crowd um, wherever their fans are uh, for that one, since that's their first Big 12 game. But it's a very attainable schedule for us in the grand scheme of things. The Texas game on the road is is going to be a tough one. And, you know, I'm talking specifically about Big 12 play, but it, TCU will be an interesting team, how they bounce back after this season. They lose some talent, but they bring in some talent on that one. But the overall schedule is very attainable for us to try and get back to the Big 12 championship game. And that's exciting if we see the team develop uh, a couple concerns would be the early bye week. Uh, that's, that's definitely concerning um, and, and a little bit of a red flag when we think about it, but I, other than the home schedule being a little bit lacking, I'm fine with it. I, I, I think it's the word for me is attainable. It's attainable to try and make it back to the big 12 championship game. Yeah, I agree. The in terms of home games, you know, you kind of this is my thing. Like people say that the home the home games aren't like very exciting. But would you rather have like for a, for a home game? Let's say all our home games were versus the top teams in the conference. Do you want like a whole bunch of like 50-50 games at home? I want to see dubs. I don't give a damn who it is. I want dubs. Yeah. So like, like why, why are we, why are we mad that we're getting all the, the bottom teams at home? Like give me all the dubs we can get. Like that's, that's exciting. So, sure. I mean, maybe I'm, maybe I'm being a little like pussy about it. Like just, I, I look at our home environment and what, what we, the best home environments that we have are against teams that are good. Right. And next season and what we think the Big 12 is going to be, who we think are going to be top of the Big 12, a lot of people are going to say TCU. Again, not sure, you know, how that's going to go. But the other teams that we're bringing to Manhattan, a UCF team that is bumping up to the Big 12, how good are they going to be in transitioning over to a harder conference? Houston, like Houston wasn't very good last year. They lose their their quarterback. Um, Baylor, they're rebuilding Iowa state. Eh, you know, I, I like bringing big teams into Manhattan because I think our environment supports that and provides, uh, an atmosphere that is overwhelming for teams and bringing in good teams allows us to be able to use that to our advantage. Not to say we're not going to do that against, you know, the bottom dwellers, but, it's more fun. I mean, that's my opinion. Yeah, I could see. I see where you're coming from. But my thing is, okay, let's say we go 3-0 and in conference. I mean, out, out of conference, right? We've got a home game versus UCF. Now you're – and say we get the dub there. Now you're 4-0. and Now there's excitement. So the 
doesn't matter who's who's on the schedule at home, they're going to show up, even if it's a bottom feeder. But if you're, let's say, for instance, you're one and three at the beginning of the season, I don't care if it's OU Texas, whoever's coming into town, people are going to be upset and they're going to be less likely to show up. It's all about winning. If you're winning, they're going to show up for whoever because they want to be part of be part of it. They want to be part of the winning. Winning cures all. If Tang, if Jerome Tang right now, uh, I'm going to mix the sports together. If Jerome Tang right now, we were, I don't know, like 12 and 12, you think we'd be selling out? Fuck no. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. It, it doesn't, like if, if, if Chris Kleiman is, if we're five in if we're five and six at the beginning of the season, we're not going to sell that last game out. It doesn't, it's, it's, it's all about winning. It, I don't, it doesn't matter the opponent. In my opinion, in my opinion, it doesn't matter who the opponent is at home. If we're winning they're the crowd's going to be there. Now I want dubs at home. So if it's the, if it's the cake, cake pops at the, at our home venue, then so be it. Let's get the dub that way. Now my gripe with the schedule is that we don't go on the road for any of the of the new opponents, so we don't get to see the cats in a different environment, which is always my kind of thing. I want to see us in different areas, and we don't go we don't go to Cincinnati, and we don't go to West Virginia. So now I got to take another expensive ass trip out to to K State to fucking see the cats play. We'll be excited to see you though. Yeah, let's Absolutely. let's like let's court next year that'd be kind of fun let's oh yeah baby let's do yeah. it i mean if we if, let's let's say for shits and giggles that we did a fucking cocaine willy improv shot like just right off like you know off the cuff off the post, tailgate, post game off the post tailgate. game tailgate oh yeah at, at you know <laughs> matt's matt's spot in the east side exactly doing, doing fireball shots and and being none the wiser uh yeah i mean will do you have any other feedback or commentary on the schedule release anybody else have any other feedback or commentary on the schedule release before we uh, kick it over to realignment radio yeah overall uh i can't really complain um if i if i was gonna nitpick i had said it in the chat i was really i think there were a lot of teams that wanted this as well but i would have liked to have seen um seen us go to provo the first year um, I, that is one trip that I do have, like, as soon as it's on the calendar, I'm going to circle it. Um, and then of course not, you know, Matt said the home games were kind of blah, but not having OU at home one more time is, is one that really, really upsets me. I was hoping we would get that, but, um, having a, a fair balance of the new incoming teams helps. And, and then also we have a, if I remember when I looked at it, uh, Andre, correct me if I'm wrong, but we have a stint where we're playing like nothing but Texas teams. Um, I think it's towards the back part of it. Maybe those are my only gripes, but, um, yeah, I, I do like it though. I think, uh, we do have a favorable. I don't, I don't, I haven't seen that Texas stint or, or are you saying we don't leave the state of Texas or, cause I know there was like a long stretch where it's like, Four of the five games we don't leave the state of Kansas. I think that's like in the back half of the back half of the season. I'd have to look at the schedule just again to see. But I mean, 
uh, people are bitching about Oklahoma uh, the Friday game. Juan, I don't know why you're mad about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. I I mean I guess it's it's silly, but you're we're gonna without Texas and OU. This is just gonna be the future. So like, I mean that kind of is a f- realignment talk. But without Texas and Oklahoma on this in the conference, we're gonna have to find interesting ways to get people to watch the conference. So Friday games, Thursday games, we're gonna see a lot of weird kind of fuckery going on. Um, which is fine with me. I don't have a problem with it. And people are like, "Oh, then it's the then it's a the buy or something like that." Some some or the other, you know. Like, it just gives us extra days, whatever. And fuck it, you know these kids they they play football. The buy TCU for God's sakes. I mean, they won the they went undefeated, and they their buy came after week three. Like, where's <laughs> ours is after week four? Like. Let's cut the crap, man. Come on now. And it's a Friday it's a Friday game and it's at Oklahoma State. Like I can understand some people gripe about Friday games when they're in Manhattan or those Thursday night games or whatever, but this game is in Stillwater. It really doesn't affect us at the end of the day. So And honestly, maybe maybe a Friday night in Stillwater would be more fun than a Saturday night in Stillwater, for all we know. I don't know. I've never actually been to Stillwater, but a Friday night game in Stillwater sounds kind of intriguing to me. Um, (laughs) Oh, I think I I think it was on the uh, three mob. They were saying how like Lubbock is K State's furthest like road game, which that's not bad. I'll take that. I'll take that. In a, in a year where we're adding in UCF and BYU and Cincinnati, I'll take that. Absolutely. Right. And I, I think, you know, if people do go to that, this is just me and my perspective of, like, the weekends. I think it's nice that, you know, like a road – I mean, a road game at, in Stillwater on a Friday, like, I think that'd be great because then you can get back, you know, Friday morning and then you have your full weekend still. Like, it's not like where you have to go stay – overnight on Saturday and Sunday. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense for sure. Talking about the, the Friday night game. Um, I, it's not like there's not a lot of teams that don't have a weeknight game this year anyways. And we saw it last, last year, last season. Um, and I am not going to condemn it because I see it as we've seen the success from Maction. We've seen the, you know, you've seen the people want weeknight college football. Don't get me wrong. Saturday is college football, but to maximize, like to think outside the box and to maximize your profits, maximize your viewing and all of that. I am not going to gripe. Yeah, I agree. I think we need to maximize whatever we can and, especially in this interim period where Texas and OU are leaving, but they haven't left yet. And we're going to have to continue to build on the brand of the big 12. I think it's important that we, we try to get as much, as much exposure as possible. And so if that Friday night game means that we end up getting the main ESPN slot, great. Let's, let's do it. Let's make it happen. So I'm all on board with that. I'll bet it's FS1. I'll put money on it. I hate you for saying that. <laughs> I hate you for saying that. I'm I'm just being honest. I'll bet it's FS1. Like the Big 12 next year is going to be so fun because it's going to be so weird just like seeing teams seeing, you know, normal regular Big 12 teams go play in Cincinnati or go play at BYU, UCF. I don't know, I'm just really excited for it just cuz it's going to be so different. 
know, I think it's going to add to the. Okay, so like, <clears throat> hang with me here for a second. Okay, we got fourteen in the conference, and it might be for the next two years, right? Okay, so how are we doing this for this is Relam and talk? How are we doing this for basketball? What are we doing? Like, oh god, oh god, here we go. Like, it just it it just doesn't make any sense. Like, what? How do how do we do this? Like, how does the tournament get played? How does because <laughs> half these teams ain't even go play each other, and then like. Well, they'll play each other, but you know what I'm saying? Like, who de- who determines the home and homes? What What's the criteria for that? Um, we don't, you we know, don't get paid enough for that. It just, it's going to be baffling. I could get it for football. 14-team conference for football. You know, you rotate, whatever, and it ain't going to last that long. But for basketball, it's going to be a nutty two years if they hang around. And... Yeah. The I, the past. Oh, are we still gonna do Tuesday Saturdays, Wednesday Saturdays, Monday Saturdays? Are we? I mean, obviously, it had to stay like that, right? Or because are because and it, it just it just doesn't make any sense to me. Like, wh- who just who's who's coming up with this stuff, and why aren't they asking me to help? <laughs> I'm thinking like a 14 bracket. <sighs> Oh, yeah. It would probably be two buys, and then you have 12 teams, but then the Thursday would be six games. There's no way. That'd be insane. I don't know. That's It'd be nuts. Maybe Philip has the answers. All right. All right. Yeah, I'm, I'm deeply tapped into the Big 12 offices, let me tell you. Uh, I mean, as far as the tournament goes, who the hell knows? I mean, this is all going to be insane, and the, the insanity of it is going to be one of the most fun things about it. Oh man! Uh, as far as the regular season schedule goes, there will be some established home and homes, um, some established rivalries that will I think will stay. Um, but I, it, look, I'll believe OU and Texas are going to be here in 2024 when Game One of the 2024 soccer season like kicks off. Otherwise, until it's official, until there's not an SEC schedule with them on it, I'm I'm convinced that they will figure something out with Fox and appease Fox enough to get out early. Because at this point, it's Fox. It's not ESPN. It's they, ESPN doesn't want to give up enough for OU and Texas to leave early. They'll figure it out. But as far as basketball, I mean, it's good like football. Like everyone's going to want a shot at. But the difference is, it's like who cares about playing OU in Texas? Like football, it's fighting because, wow, we want OU and we want Texas. We want, no one gives a shit about playing Oklahoma and men's basketball. Like, it's fine. Uh, Texas, like, cool. Yeah, everyone just wants to play Kansas. So I, I think it'll be a little bit easier. Everyone will get at least one shot at everybody. Um, I mean, it's, it's as far as the tournament goes, I mean, the SEC, do you get an extra round of bye? Do you give the first and second, and t- second seed a double bye? Or do you just. Let's see. 1, 2, 3, 4, 1, 2, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. I don't know. I'm really interested in how that works. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. I'm doing math in my head. Yeah, when, I hate doing math when, I, head. So, when I'm Googling 14-team bracket, it has a top two seeds, but then you're playing six games in a day, and there's no fucking possible way that can happen. I mean, 
Yeah, it looks like the SEC one, they've got two playing games where 11 plays 14 and 12 plays 13, and they play in to play like a 5-12 matchup and then a, like a 6 versus 11 matchup. And then the first, I mean, every basically everybody 1 through 10 gets a bye in this, in this scenario. And then the 1 through 4 seeds get two byes, essentially. Yeah, because that's how the makes I, think that's how the big, I think that's how the Big Ten does theirs is they get the top four teams get buys, and then they kind of like Rochambeau for who's going to play those, and then it's just I mean it's a long long process, but we're we're gonna learn the Big Twelve is gonna learn along the way, and like Philip said, who knows if this will actually come down to this maybe this is just all just fairy dust in the wind. We're just kind of making it up and we don't need to even worry about it. But at the moment, it's going to be nuts to have to think that we're going to be predicting who's going to get the home and homes uh, with inside the conference, because I'm assuming Houston is going to still be good. Houston's going to want two games with Texas and Texas is going to want two games with OU, but like, Texas and OU don't mean much in basketball, but it it does in football, and it's 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 a lot of like it's a lot of shit that's gonna be popping off for the next couple of years. I don't think it's that hard. I I think you kind of tell everybody you get a set number of opponents, you get home and home. Um, obviously, there's gonna be a lot of fighting about against Kansas. I feel like Kansas State will get um kind of a. Well, it's, it's the in-state rivalries, the Sunflower Showdown. So, yeah, we understand that. And then it'll be whoever end up, whoever else gets to have a guaranteed home and home. But, like, you're going to protect Bedlam. Like, we, we can say it's not as big in basketball as it is in football, but you're still going to protect Red River. That's still a heated rivalry. Like, you're going to have Sunflower Showdown. You're going to get used. Like, I still think you're going to have an opportunity where you say, the part of the part of the issue with all this, like, scheduling talk at the Big 12 problem is that there's been so much indecision as to how we do the scheduling for everything like do you do we do protected rivalries do we have a set number of those do we just kind of pick ones here and there like i i i dm with one ad and he had a different opinion upon what i'd heard from another ad and so it's like it's it's too hard everybody in an alignment on any sort of plan which is part of the reason that this scheduling stuff is weird also are you going to do it for one year are you going to do it for two you're not going to do it for more than two like so you're kind of coming up with a temporary plan. Like it's all complicated. And my mindset is like, that's their, that's, that's their mess to figure out. I'm just going to sit back and enjoy whatever insanity comes out of it. Because look, 23, the 23, 24 athletic season. I had uh, Ryan uh, Nani on the show and I was like, there's, there's nothing like it ever. There's zero in the history of college football, of college athletics. Like even what went down in the Big East in its final season doesn't come close. Like there's just there's nothing like what's going to happen in the Big 12 this year. And that's all I care about is the absolute insanity and must watch of the Big 12 in football, especially, but in basketball. Yeah, Houston joins the conference. Good heavens. Like that's insane. Texas Tech's not going to be this bad next year. And hey, thank God we're going to have UCF so we can all have a a, a true – you know, game or two off season, but like just the big 12 and everything next year is going to be so much fun and so crazy. And just like, if you can sit and stress and ring, what are they going to do? Who's going to be, 
why make them figure that out for us let's just enjoy it yeah i I mean i agree that like it's it's for the fan it's absolutely beautiful but the way we've constructed the conference it's just going to be kind of unfair in my opinion like kansas state's going to be fine because we're going to have the ku link we're going to have the iowa state link you know houston is going to have their links, Baylor and TCU and Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, they're going to be fine. But then when you get to these home and homes and it's secured rivalries, what does BY is BYU going to get stuck with UCF? Are they going to be, are those, because you know, West Virginia is going to kind of be linked with Cincinnati. And it, it's just going to be, I think it's going to be a little unfair to BYU is going to have a gripe and UCF is going to have a gripe because I think they're going to get left with having to do home and homes with BYU across the country. And they're just going to be, it's just going to be a little weird for them. I feel like they're just a little out of sorts with the conference in my opinion. Well, and and Philip, you do make a joke about UCF, but UCF is currently ranked higher than BYU who is uh, in Ken Palm. BYU is 73rd, which puts them just three spots behind Texas tech. So you've got BYU, Texas tech, UCF and Cincinnati all within 14 of each other in Ken Palm and BYU's the lowest at 73. So we t- we could we could joke about like having a guaranteed loss or for or having a guaranteed win for some of our teams but I don't even know if it's going to be that good. I, let's let's say this. Let's give them their flowers for having a nice season and also understand that when they have to play the big 12 schedule, they probably aren't like if you put Texas tech in the AAC this year, how much higher are they in the, in the Ken Palm and the net ranking? Like, I don't, I don't don't like playing this game because it's, it's always seems so silly to like, well, if you had to play this schedule, but I mean, look, the big 12 in men's basketball is what the sec thinks is in football. Like if, if we swapped UCF and Texas tech, where would those two teams be in their conferences right now? Where would those two teams be in the Ken Palm? Like, it's just like, I, I understand the point. Um, I'm not saying UCF is, is like winless TCU a couple of years ago, or even Iowa state last year. That's just, but it isn't the same as, I mean, it, it is going to be an easier game. Uh, this is, it doesn't matter. I don't need to sit here and turn this into to shit talk UCF men's basketball for some reason. Uh, you know, I've just been praising their softball team, which would be awesome. I just like, as for BYU, look, I, I've, I've said it, 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 at least like this point, it's pretty common knowledge. BYU and Iowa state are probably going to play everything and every year and every sport because Jamie Pollard wants to. And so that's, what's going to happen. Also, like I was complaining about BYU, like they knew what they were getting into when they joined the big 12. Like, you're going to have to play a road games at West Virginia and you're going to have to play road games at UCF. And that's just kind of part of it. And like, I don't know, like on the one hand, I'm sorry. On the other hand, like, it's not like you signed up going, wait, we're going to have to play where who's in this conference. Nah, man. Like you knew what you were getting. I'm having a hard time with sympathy there. And it's going to be weird. It, It is because now you've got a conference that stretches from Provo, Utah to Orlando, Florida. But it, it doesn't really even stretch that far. It's you've got two teams that are as far apart as you could possibly just about to possibly get, and then everything else in the middle, which is strange. But you know, you're dealing the best hand you dealt. I don't know. You, you said it. You said it right there. Oh, sorry, Andre. 
you, um, they signed up for it. I mean, just because they're geographically located to the farthest West, you know, if we don't uh, go any further that way, that's what they signed up for. So you can't have your cake and eat it. Like if you want to step into it, you have to, but then you can't gripe because you're going to be from one side of the country to the other. Um, we're fortunate because we are located, you know, one, we're one of the more centrally located places, but it's like, you can't, you can't gripe. About it. I think the basketball season next season is going to be an incredible, it's going to be an incredible conference to watch. Um, I, I think BYU is going to bring a lot to the table um, just with, I mean, it, historically BYU has had a very good team. They have a good program. They have a great environment. And even Cincinnati, I mean, we've seen Cincinnati, they've, had really good seasons, you know, UCF in the, in the four is going to be the, the outlier. And I no, I don't think they're going to be a TCU a few years ago that doesn't win a game in conference, but it, if you don't make a good jump from a recruiting perspective, it's, it's going to be a struggle the first couple of years, but it, the big 12 next year and, and consistently, you know, moving forward is going to be a really good basketball conference. And, who knows with Gonzaga? Who knows? Uh, man, we could we could get started on that conversation. It'd probably take us thirty minutes to even just touch on that one at this point. I'm just I like I personally don't want to add Gonzaga just because I don't want this to become the old Big East where they had a football conference and a basketball conference that had like twenty members in it. And they're not really adding all that much from a revenue perspective. At that point, you're really just trying to get as big of a Rolodex of good basketball teams from top to bottom as humanly possible. And then you're really like doubling and then tripling down on what Philip mentioned earlier of the Big 12 in basketball is what people think the SEC is in football. And I wholeheartedly believe that. But I, I like the product that we have now. And I like the product that we're going to be getting with the with the four additions and okay, we can add Gonzaga or, and maybe Villanova. Like who, who else are we going to add? Are we going to elevate Villanova's football team to, to be a, an FBS team too? Like what, what goes into that and what are we adding there other than just adding an extra game, maybe giving BYU uh, not even really that much of a geographic partner to travel to and, and from given that they are in the same conference today, but like that's still a long ways away from, from Spokane to, to Provo, Utah. But I don't know. I personally just don't see a ton of value in it other than, okay, you're adding Gonzaga, you're adding a, 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 a name that's known in the basketball world, but like revenue wise, it's not going to add a whole lot to be totally honest. So first adding Gonzaga isn't going to cost you much. And there's a very good chance. While I think Gonzaga baseball is, is fun and would be cool to have in the conference, there's a pretty good chance if you're adding Gonzaga in men's basketball, that's about the only sport you're adding them for because it would be very expensive. I mean, think about the arguments we're having with UCLA and USC, the Big Ten, how much money they're going to have. We're still talking about how much the cost is going to be for their Olympic sports to try and deal with a conference schedule that involves going all the way out to Nebraska and Rutgers on a regular basis. 
my guess is if you add a Gonzaga in men's basketball, you're only adding them for men's basketball, and the rest of their sports will get housed somewhere else. Um, probably not still the West Coast Conference, probably like Mountain West England. I, I, as I have a hard time seeing them just you spending enough money to help them justify the travel cost for their Olympic sports, right? Um, so if you're just adding men's basketball, Gonzaga, so you're adding one team who, from a branding standpoint, is one of the most recognizable is one of the most recognizable brands in men's basketball, hands down, period. I don't care if they haven't won a national championship. People can have their overrated opinions, whatever they want about Gonzaga. They're stupid. Um, Gonzaga is damn good. But this is a brand everybody knows. It's a quality brand. It is a brand that brings you more attention. And at this point, we've talked about this ad nauseum since the Oklahoma and Texas announcing they were going to the SEC. It's about brands. It, it's about brands and it's about inventory. Like, why do you think the Pac-12 is looking at SMU? Like, they just need inventory because there aren't a whole lot of brands for them to add. And why would you think Gonzaga would be more inclined to go to the Big 12 and the Pac-12 in men's basketball? Because of the Big 12 basketball brand. Not to mention, that's another team you would expect most of the time is going to make the tournament. So that's that's more NCAA tournament money coming to the Big 12. I just, like, I understand... I understand why some people don't love it. Um, and to anybody who doesn't love it because they think it's overrated, go sit down. Uh, if your concern is just the travel, the distance, it seems silly, cool, whatever. And I'm fine if they don't. But if they do, it's kind of fun. It's kind of neat. And I'm perfectly fine if it makes sense in one sport to add a program that has the reputation that Gonzaga has. Like, now... Look, Mark Few leaves. So, I, and that, so that's kind of my. I'll just. I'll leave it at that. No, I was. I think I was going to ask you the question of what you were about to say. Is how long is that Gonzaga brand going to be the brand that it is now? Once, once their coach leaves. So, I mean, he, he's how how much longer does he have? And is he the reason Gonzaga is where it's at? Because to be honest with you, when I was growing up watching Gonzaga. Uh, they were kind of that. They were kind of the, what would you say? I mean, they just were. They were just that mid-major program that sure. was the cream of the crop out there. And would it would it raise the brand of Gonzaga if they joined the Big Twelve to keep them more consistent, or is if they join the Big Twelve and then they have two bad seasons after Mark Few leaves? Did we just did we just get the shiny turd? I mean. So Mark Few is 60 years old. Um, he just turns, according to Wikipedia, he just turned 60, what, last, back in December. So, like, I don't know if he'll go Bayheim old, you know, die on the sideline when he's 102 and getting wheeled around in a wheelchair. But, that was mean, oh well. Like, I think you're going to have Mark Few for a while longer. I think as long as Mark, like, look, Gonzaga basketball is Mark Few. Like it is. Um, when he leaves, who knows? Is it going to be a a program that shouldn't have too hard of a job finding a good replacement? And look, Gonzaga spends their money on men's basketball. The, the resources are there. The facilities are there. If you're a good coach, you could go to Gonzaga. If you've already proven, Mark Few has proven, you can recruit talent to Gonzaga. You can get NFL or NBA NFL, NBA players, NFL players, NBA players to Gonzaga. Like 
the, it's been proven what you can do there. Not one time, like over a, a long period, a program has invested. So look, are they going to stay this good when Mark Few eventually retires? Maybe not. Um, but we don't know. And they're set up to be able to find the caliber of coach to allow them to maintain this. So you look at it from that standpoint. Plus, they are going to get a pay bump if they join the Big 12, only helping in that situation. Again, they don't have football. So it's not like, well, they got to spend on football and they got to they choose between football. No, they're just going to spend on men's basketball. That's, that's, that's what makes them their money. It, you know, Kansas-like. That's what they're going to spend their money on. And something to add so, about that. Oh, sorry. I just wanted to add is, I mean, thinking about Mark Few, the one of his most uh, most accomplished assistant coaches is doing great things at Arizona. And so he ha- he has a, a small coaching tree, Leon Rice, another one. He has a small coaching tree that you could have somebody come back to Gonzaga or have an assistant take over, um, or you bring in a big name. Like I'm, I'm all in on it. I'm all in on the big 12 marketing itself as the best college basketball conference. And if it means that you bring in a caliber program like Gonzaga, somebody was mentioned in Villanova. I don't know how much that's actually a thing, but I, it, they're not, as Philip said, they're not going to cost a ton of money. They're going to consistently make the NCAA tournament as long as they continue with how the program has been running. I see, and you get into another time zone from an inventory perspective for TV, which I think would be an added bonus as well. So do you add, do you add another team? Do you add a Villanova? Do you add a UConn or someone like that? Or do you leave it at 13 teams with this one odd man out basketball member? Just curious what the group thinks on that. I think we add North Dakota State for football and basketball, and then you know we just <laughs> we just ride off into the sunset. Bye, bye, bye. Uh, uh, my opinion is this: Gonzaga is a special case. You're adding them because of who they are. Like I understand the idea of Villanova, but I, I don't see that as something that's a reality. First off, you don't need to move east. Like you can, but. Like Gonzaga is such a unique opportunity with with who they are, and I understand Villanova's won some national championships. Their head coach is also gone. We'll see how they do moving forward. Uh, but you want to go west, you can get one of the best basketball programs out west. Um, their head coach, you would imagine, will be sticking around for at least another decade, and so. Like it's, you're not just, I don't feel like it's a, oh, we got to go get one more because we got to have an even number. Like, I don't, I don't think that matters. Like, I don't think you suddenly have to go, well, uh, let's see, there's a Wichita State or, or Villanova. No. Like, no. No, I don't, I don't, no I don't, Wichita I don't, State. <laughs> football, you want your even number, whatever, yada, yada. But I don't think for basketball, you have to. And, and you, it's, this is a unique situation with a program like Gonzaga where you say, we want a, a more of a presence out West. This can at least help us in basketball with that situation. And again, I don't know if this is going to happen or not. Like we're probably spending a whole lot of time talking about something that at the end of the day probably won't happen, but it's a very different situation. It's like, we just got to add basketball teams. We don't need to just add basketball teams. This just solves something of a desire by your mark on a basketball side with a unique brand and product. 
I think that... Oh, no worries. Uh, My bad. It always seems like as soon as I was going to talk, you were going to talk. You were going to talk. I was going to talk. It seems like... um, the the most of the reason that the people the people that are pushing against it are still um, kind of distraught from what happened in the Big East conference. It, that's been a, the most of the argument. You guys may have mentioned this already, but it seems like most of the pushback on it is because they don't want Big East uh, 2.0. But I do have to agree with Philip that just because you add Gonzaga doesn't mean you have to add another one. I would much rather. Me personally, I would much rather some add someone like Arizona um, that does contribute in football. You know, they or I should say they have a football program. They've they did better this year, but um, yeah. So I think it's just because everyone saw what happened to the Big East and they don't. I I, I understand the like look what happened to the Big East. It's very different situations. That's a conference that was a basketball conference that decided it needed to start focusing on football. And so you had two different groups of programs who had very different philosophies about what what they wanted the conference to be. You had the football pool this way and the basketball pool that way. That's not the case in the Big 12. Football comes first. But what your mark's doing is growing the Big 12 brand. The, the thing that the SEC figured out and the Big Ten figured out a long time ago was the the conference brand. People know what the SEC is, and they know the teams in it. People know what the Big Ten is, and they know the brands in it. They know the teams in it, minus, you know, Rutgers and Maryland. No one knows what conference they're in. I don't. Uh, the Big 12 has not built its brand that way. It hasn't been around as long, but it hasn't built itself that way. It hasn't been conference-focused Adding Gonzaga is a branding move in men's basketball. That's it. That's, that's, that's what it is for a conference that cares about men's basketball and cares about being the best conference. But this isn't a situation where your schools are divided as to – look, I, this, I think this, the athletic directors are not all in alignment on everything. But I don't think there's any confusion as to what's most important that is football. Yes, we all care about basketball. That that that, but it's not the same situation. No, I think that's a fair point, and and we'll probably have this conversation pretty soon here. But here's what I would personally like to have happen: I would like to let Texas and Oklahoma football leave, go flounder in the SEC. I would like them to keep their basketball teams in the Big Twelve, although they probably don't want that because their schedule is going to get easier when they make the move in basketball. But I would love to keep the caliber that we have in basketball as is. It's it's just this has been the most fun I've had watching a conference in basketball, and it's the Big Twelve this year than than probably any other year. And, and granted, a big part of that is because K State's good again. But man, this is just such a fun year. The, I mean, the caliber of the teams from top to bottom is just incredibly good. I think it's going to improve, obviously, with with the with the additions that we're going to have, but. Man, if we could just keep Texas and OU in basketball, I would not be mad. I hate their guts, but it, it would be fun to keep them in basketball. I know that's there's no remote possibility of that happening, but that would that would be a lot more fun if we could keep them around, just because they've been they've been fun and and have had their moments of like 
sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad, but, but Texas has been pretty consistently pretty damn good in basketball and Oklahoma had their good years with Lon Kruger too. And, you know, going back to Trey Young, going back to, to the Griffin guys, they've had some fun years too. So it's, it's been fun to watch and yeah. I mean, anybody else have anything else on, on realignment basketball, any of that stuff before we uh, sign off today? Is Brett Yormark using the Big 12 as a stepping stone? What a surprise. Ooh, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> I feel like this is a – I mean, I don't know him. I don't really – I mean, like even reading his bio, I still don't know who he, what he is or what he's trying to do. Um, I feel like this Gonzaga move, if it does happen, I feel like this is just like – a feather in his cap. He doesn't really care. In my opinion, he doesn't really care what happens to the big 12. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he's like, Oh, I made this move for the big 12. Look what I can do. Move on. I don't, I don't, I just, that's just what I feel. Am I, am I, am I, but I guess, I guess I'm curious, like what is, what is the stepping stone to, like, where does he go from here? Because he's already been an executive, uh, like the the guy, the president for what, the Nets? He was the guy for NASCAR. So I guess I'm curious, like, where, where does he go? Does he become a president of a of an NFL team? Like, because there's just more money in that than there is in the NBA. I guess I'm just kind of curious, is this, he's trying to build out and bolster his football credentials, I, I I'm curious what the stepping stone would be too. I don't disagree that it could be a stepping stone because I think it very well could be because he, the, his entire career has kind of been indicative of that. But to your point, we don't know his heart. We don't know his, his motivations and stuff. And, and I'm curious what would that next step be? I hear rock nation is looking for a, a leader. True. True. Rock boys in the building tonight. and on that note uh for all of us here at cocaine willie to everybody in the live room who contributed tonight and everybody listening on the feed huge thank you appreciate everybody for the friendly banter the the you know i just love talking about realignment because it's such a shit show but uh we'll we'll have more there's probably going to be more news as as the weeks go on and as that MHVER3 guy drops his, you know, fra- potentially fraudulent knowledge on on everybody, but not as fraudulent as uh, me swindling a few thousand people into thinking I was the commissioner. But give Cocaine Willie a follow on Spotify or Apple Podcasts to be notified of new episodes as they drop. Leave us a review with your feedback. And if you're on Twitter, follow the show at Cocaine Willie or follow us individually. I am your commissioner at Bob Trollsby. The good chef is at Chef Andre Napier. And everybody's favorite fireball shot taker is Fireball Matt Marchesini at Matt Marchesini. Chef. Cocaine's a hell of a drug, baby. We are, as always, all coke and no joke. Wildcat Country. Let's ride. Let's ride. Let's ride. Let's ride. Let's ride.